Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Holden McNeely. That's right. Your Judge Dredd. You think your Judge Dredd's going to be better than my Judge Dredd? Jake Young? You're full of it. I don't care what you're about to do. What your wizard impression thing is that you're about to do. You'll never beat this Dredd. Ooh, I'm intimidating. That's right. Don't fuck around with me, man. You, you gotta... Uh-oh. I just fucked up. I said fuck twice. Now I said it three times. I gotta put quarters in the swear jar. Oh, man. I'm bad at this. <laughs> I'm bad at this, Jake. What are you? I'm Judge Death. Oh. I come from an alternate universe where everything's the same, but... I'm a scully wooly icky ficky fucky wucky man, and okay, I'm gonna so you're stick. Bizarro, you're bizarro Judge Dredd then, and that's what you're saying. I'm evil Judge Dredd <laughs> because the people who the, we figured it out. Hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. This is my motivation. All right. <laughs> if if people who are alive commit crimes, then being alive is the only crime. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a point. Kill them all. Kill them. Everybody. He's got to. Sorry, guys. I got to agree with him on this one. That's right. Thanks. That's, that's what I'm saying. Judge Dredd and Judge Death teaming up for one last job. Who's the comic relief? <laughs> I think it's me. Who is the comic relief? It's the city of. Yes. Uh, it Mega is Mega City, city One. one. Uh, we're doing Judge Dredd. And Judge Dredd, I feel like kind of like uh, Guar. Is a property, is an, no, seriously, is an entity that is more infamous and recognizable, but not famous, not truly successful. There are, you know, any self-respecting comic book fan, any 90s kid who remembers like all the action movies, uh, cult cinema fans, definitely know he's the guy in the helmet with the scowly face and the chin and the cool gun and the cool bike and the eagle shoulder pad. But like if if you walk amongst the earth itself, very few people like actually know the deep lore of Judge Dredd's universe. Very few people have actually sat and read these comics unless you were, I'm going to say it, an incredibly asthmatic, overweight British 15 year old in the 70s and 80s. Please, Jake. Uh, yeah, it's a tough pro tag to nail down in a franchise way. It's a really fascinating, 
really interesting protagonist, like anti-hero kind of thing. It kind of reminds me of Spawn almost a little bit. It's like really hard to nail down in a, let's say, cinematic universe mm-hmm. type of way because it, it, that's why it works so well as a comic book. We kind of already alluded to the fact that so much of the comedy, so much of the personality of Judge Dredd it really comes from the city around him. Mm-hmm. Really, Mega City 1 is almost like more the main character in a lot of ways, but it's about Judge Dredd like reacting to that as this very stone-faced, you know, police state type of uh, main character that... that is challenging to like get over, but it's also the challenge of, hey, we're trying to say Judge Dredd's like a fucker, and then you run into that weird, awkward territory where people are like, no, he's badass. I love Judge Dredd. He he hurts the little man. This is this is Godzilla <laughs> syndrome, where Godzilla yeah. can be this unfathomable horror that we as in the audience are explicitly meant to fear and like be uh, scared of. That's I, that was just a synonym. I don't know why I had to use both those words. Um, <laughs> or he is a hulking power fantasy through which the audience can feel the rush of violence, the control, the uh, competence of a future cop at the top of his game that's unshaken by the horrors in front of him. And both are definitely ways to tell a Judge Dredd story. Um, but Mega City One, this post-apocalyptic, a uh, version of American society at once technologically uh, resplendent, but also falling apart at the seams where commercialism, obesity, and political decay have just reduced the populace to mostly gawping, fucking mouth-breathing uh, super morons with nothing better to do but to commit crimes out of boredom because the unemployment rate is 97%. Um, it's this... Very just expansive and very kind of uh, novel world that really has influenced tons of people. And, you know, we wouldn't have like RoboCop without Judge Dredd. We wouldn't have so many uh, kind of cyberpunk uh, anti-heroes without Judge Dredd. Mm-hmm. We ju- and, you know, whether it's the cool gun with the a- with the ammo types, whether it's the fact that um you know, it's this hyper violent society where judges like can sh- put you away in an ISO cube for life just for jaywalking. Um, it's you are at once seduced by the image of dread, all jaw and grimace and and violence. And at once you are supposed to like be a little bit wary of what dread represents. Um, we talk about in long, long ago in our Alan Moore episode that the superhero is a bit of a fascistic icon, uh, especially if you did so many mushrooms that most of your stories become about like witches and bog monsters having sex through the underlayers of the universe. Now we're talking. I guess that's more of a Grant Morrison if I really <laughs> have to be specific. Anyway, um, the fact is, is like, Judge Dredd is basically Batman without all the pretense. Yeah. He is infinitely capable. He, uh, you know, is there to clean up a city on the brink. And he is working yeah, basically on the side of the rules are the rules. And if everybody followed the rules, we wouldn't need him. But because, uh, you know, you're just a, a scared little kid. And just want everybody to obey the rules. It would be really nice if a big, strong man just like 
fucked people up and made them like had made heads explode rather than victimize you personally. Um, but there's just decades of comics to go through two very uh, interesting movies for different reasons. And yeah, you know, this might not be an all time uh, hit episode in terms of listenership. I feel like the dread fandom is like just a, an undercurrent. I just hope that this is, if you are familiar with the franchise, if you have, you know, if you remember the Stallone movie, if you had a good time at the Carl Urban movie, then like maybe this is an excuse to actually pick up some of these comics because they are fascinating. They do reflect all of these different kind of movements and styles throughout uh, the British comic scene. 2000 AD was this incubator for so many creative comics talents that would not maybe have existed if it wasn't for the success of Dread. And it's it's about time that we talked about him. And it was really interesting researching him this week. Yeah, for sure. I really love the research for this. Well, I, I love, first of all, going back to the movies, like I love 2012 Dread. I think it's wonderful. I was really floored by it when it came out. It was also a joy to get to watch the very bad uh, Judge Dread movie starring Sylvester Stallone because I love to pick apart how things went wrong, you know, mm-hmm. with that thing. It's also really fascinating because, you know, to tell the story of Judge Dread in a way is to tell the story of 2000 AD, which is essentially the British weekly Shonen Jump. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's this just historical, like, publication that has been running since the late 70s, kind of encapsulating a lot of British comic books and British comic book talent. I mean, pretty much any time we talk about a British, uh, you know, comic book artist, writer, whatever, it's you have to mention 2000 AD. They did something on 2000 AD. That's where they would go to cut their teeth, you know, before they went on to become Alan Moore, Grant Morrison. Garth Ennis. uh, Garth Ennis, you know, I mean, and and uh, so it's a very fascinating publication. And Judge Dredd really is kind of the face of 2000 AD. He was in the very second issue of 2000 AD and has since been running concurrently. And that's another interesting part about the character is like, unlike uh, American comic books, they were very constrained, much like a you know manga weekly serial and how the stories were told and how much they could fit into a certain number of pages uh, to get into an issue of 2000 AD. And that's always going to have a weird effect. I think one of the biggest products of that uh, for the comic is that a lot of those smaller stories are really kind of more of the draw for a lot, as opposed to like the longer, you know, story arcs that they would tell through multiple issues or the way that those longer story arcs were told or were had, had to be approached differently because they have to be able to like tell each story in a way that it could stand on its own in an issue of 2000 AD and still be part of a larger story, like Apocalypse War, let's say. Oh my you know? God, the Apocalypse War. That was a huge turning point. We'll talk about it. But like, yeah, no, by uh, by by the time that Judge Dredd was like the mascot character, you know, uh, they were writing individual progs or no, progs are the issues. I don't know. Uh, individual chapters for the weekly releases, There was also the monthly Judge Dredd magazines that came out. There was also the daily Judge Dredd comic strip that came out for years and years. Like, you know, at a a certain point, Judge Dredd, like, became an excuse to explore the world of Mega City One. And the editors would be like, 
hey, you forgot to have Dredd in this one. And they'd have to quickly like throw him in at the last panel, be like, uh, you're under arrest for doing all that cool stuff that we just watched in this previous yeah. story. I think that's also an interesting thing. The writer, um, John Wagner, by the way, is the writer. Uh, Carlos Esquera has uh, been the artist on a lot of Judge Dredd. But, of course, there have been a lot of different artists. And there have been other writers of Judge Dredd. Don't forget Alan Grant. Yes, absolutely. And Alan Grant. You know, after a while, they're like, how do we tell more stories with uh, as uh, uh, titled Judge Dredd without Judge Dredd hardly in them? Because we've told this <laughs> these stories with this character for so long. I mean, decades. It becomes a challenge after 500 issues to tell a new story about, you know, revolving, especially as one or two people writing it, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, so it's it's a fascinating one, and by British year comic three, books. by year three, all my stories would be like in this thrilling chapter, Judge Dredd just shoots a bunch of stuff with a grenade launcher for no reason. Boom, boom, <laughs> kapow! Yeah, totally. I mean, it's this. It's it's the issue with comics and manga, though, in general. I mean, it's it's the expectation is that it just runs for years and years, and that that becomes its own challenge. So yeah, Judge Joseph Dredd. Is a comic book character created by again writer John Wagner, artist Carlos Esquera. His first he first appeared in the second issue of the British Weekly Comic Anthology, 2000 AD, in 1977. He's a street judge in Mega City One, a dystopia of the future that exists along most of the East Coast of North America. Street judge means he can arrest, convict, sentence, and execute on the spot. The uh, this character, of course, oh, 1995. I'm sorry, I kept saying 96. 95 is when Judge Dredd, starring Sylvester Stallone came out and uh 2012 is uh when dread came out uh, starring carl urban a much fairer treatment dread 3d if you're a weirdo yeah it it's a much much fairer tre- uh treatment towards mm-hmm. the character for sure and we'll get into why uh, but unfortunately not a giant box office successor we would actually be enjoying more judge dread movies starring carl urban uh, done by the director, uh, and we'll get into that as well. That is that really bums me out because I thought Dread. It's funny. It's like if if your one takeaway would be, you know, I always feel like I always want them to go walk away and check out like one thing mm-hmm. outside of the comic books. Man, that 2012 Dread is really something. Especially if you're a fan of stuff like Snowpiercer, The Raid, you know, you will love Dread. All right, but before we get into that, let's get into 2000 AD and its origins. Um, 2000 AD, published by IPC Magazines, which was established in the 50s, which was most known for their gossip rags like The Sun, but they also started branching out into comics in the late 60s. While the U.S. was establishing itself as a superhero haven, Britain was pumping out kitchen sink dramas, war stories, stuff like that, stuff that was starting to feel a bit old hat by the 1970s. And a reaction to that was delivered by writer-editor Pat Mills, with uh, a new serial titled Action, mm. which featured comics that delved into the counterculture and satirized current pop culture. Action sounds fascinating, especially because it was immediately canceled due to public <laughs> outrage. This was just filled to the brim with violence and anti-authoritarianism and the counterculture. And as mentioned before, and it was a huge hit, especially with boys. There was a just this huge, huge outcry. Get this thing out of here. And so action is canceled. And they realize like, well, how do we make this work? We know what the kids want. 
We just delivered it. <laughs> but how do we like sneak it past the goalie of, you know, the moral folk out there, the parents? And it was very really reminiscent of me uh, uh, to me of Rod Serling and Twilight Zone. Mm. It was they said they were like, how do we get these concepts over and still appease the um, the dorks <laughs> out there? As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. How do we tell, how do we tell stories to dorks about sex and violence and race and gender and all these hot topics that their throbbing 14-year-old hormones desperately want to read about in a way that makes it seem, you know, kind of highfalutin, maybe a little intellectual, maybe just a veneer of middle-class uh, speculative fiction. I know. Sci-fi. IPC editor John Sanders noticed there were a slew of science fiction films on the horizon, and this is after the success of Star Wars, of course. Uh, and, you know, we saw it. We, we know in the 80s how much science fiction shit hit hit the wall uh, uh, through that time. Some amazing, a lot terrible. And uh, he was like, this is the direction we should go in. And so uh, Pat Mills agreed uh, with him. Pat Mills, uh, editor over at, uh, at 2000 AD. And so he was like, yeah, this is a great way to sneak in all that stuff that I was trying to do with action, but wasn't able to. Pat Mills said, I felt in a way that science fiction could escape the heavy flack we had got with action. With action, the message was loud and clear because most of it was set in what was the present time. With 2000 AD, we could do the same sort of thing. But if anyone complained, we could say, look, it's just some robots <laughs> in the future. And I mean, that's what Judge Dredd is as well. It's like, look, he's a lawman. You're going to come after me? He loves the law. What, what, just because he's making a guy's guts fall out of the <laughs> back of his uh, torso, you know, there's neither here nor there. So, uh, you know, they knew they needed staple characters for their regular sci-fi magazine. And they went to the drawing board to conjure up some really solid stuff that people would want to return to week in and week out. So Mills brings in a freelancer named John Wagner uh, as a script supervisor to help him develop characters for his science fiction anthology magazine. John Wagner himself was a rebellious teen growing up in Pennsylvania after the war. His parents separated when he was 12, and he found more structure and discipline in his mother's homeland of Scotland. After school, he got work at a printing company and eventually got work after that as a sub-editor of a romance comic, Romeo, as well as horoscopes for newspapers, which is where he met Pat Mills and the two left that gig to go full freelance and got work via IPC. By the way, in an interview, John Wagner admits to all the bullshit they would make up for the horoscopes. And they mm -hmm. even joked around about saying like, you're going to die today. <laughs> in like the, you know, Scorpio section, you know what I mean? It just it's like definitely going to happen. Stay yeah. away from the roads. Just so you know, the horoscope thing largely, uh, it's just dudes in an office 
who would rather be making comic books about, you know, people's heads exploding, <laughs> just conjuring what's going to happen to you that day. But uh, together, uh, Pat Mills and John Wagner put out the war-themed comic anthology Battle Picture Weekly, a boys adventure comic uh, anthology Valiant, and of course, Action. Pat Mills said, the story I had in mind was this sort of hammer quartermass doctor who idea where Judge Dredd would actually have been the last hanging judge in England who sees someone walking around that he knows he's sentenced to death. It had elements of a cult and didn't really fit in with 2000 AD too well. Then John Wagner asked if he could have the name for his future policeman story uh, we were trying to work up. And this, man, I'm just so excited for Jake right now. Because <laughs> this is the part of the, uh, of the episode where I explain to you that the name was actually based on a British ska and reggae artist named Alexander Minto Hughes, whose stage name was Judge Dredd, spelled D-R-E-A-D. Jake, I am very interested to hear what you have uh, in store for me right now. Take it away. So Judge Dredd, the namesake of our titular badass super cop, uh, was not just uh, uh, some reggae rock steady early, uh, you know, fucking uh, 1960s, 70s reggae artist. He was explicitly a parody artist. He was, uh, his big hit was a play off of Prince Buster's number, uh, uh, hit song, Big Five, recording his own Big Six. And in 1977, the same time that uh, Judge Dredd was making his debut in the comic pages, this is the kind of music that Judge Dredd, the reggae artist, was producing. Holton, I'm going to play, uh, I just sent you this link. Uh, tell me when you hit play so that you can hear this in real time along with the audience. April, I know this is going to take some uh, some coordination, but I feel like this is, again, I am the law, Mega City One. I will purge you. Freedom is a crime. Justice is all. Like, this Judge Dredd started with this artist's name. Holden. All right. By the way, by the way, it, it should be known. This is a pudgy white guy. Yes. Uh, definitely look the guy up too. Yeah. With a goatee. He looks ridiculous. He's got like, I don't even, what do you even call that? It's like Lord Fauntleroy yeah. hair. He's got like the bangs and the short, the hair that goes down to like his shoulders. And Prince the name of Valiant. this song, the name of the, yes, Prince Valiant. And the name of this song is Up With The Cock. Let's hear it. I'm hitting play now. <laughs> yep. Nice. I get a double entendre with the chicken. Wait. Or with the rooster, rather. Okay. I know a girl who works on the farm. If you listen to me, I'll tell you a yarn. Always asleep by 10 o'clock. There's six on the dots. It's up with the cock. Up with the cock. Up with the cock. There's six o'clock. It's up Nice. Well, I'm sorry. You need to hear verse two. This is this okay. very important. To milk a herd of jerseys. At seven's her first stick. She warms her hands to please the cows. When she gives up, pull on the tip. Jesus. Pull on the tip. Pull on the tip. Up with the cock. Up with the cock. Okay. Okay. Up with the cock. Oh, my God. Hold it. Pull on the tit. Pull on the tit. Up with the cock. Up with the cock. It's six o'clock. Up with the cocks. That is so brilliant penmanship. I'm so surprised they didn't incorporate more of this man's music in the comic book. Judge Dredd, the reggae artist, uh, much like 2000 AD, uh, made headlines by being banned and causing a moral panic with his <laughs> body <bawdy> reggae songs. <laughs> that being said, 
uh, throughout the 70s, the only reggae artist that sold more albums under this genre than Judge Dredd was Bob Marley himself. Wow. This, like, well, I will <laughs> say, he was also, I mean, hey, he wrote such hits as Ding-A-Ling <laughs> and The Biggest Bean You've Ever Seen. <laughs> Which I wonder, I don't know if that is uh, another genitalia reference or uh, just about a very large bean. I mean, I guess we'll have to listen to the discography to find out. I mean, this just guy looking, seems like a menace. Looking at his uh, at his at his wiki page, uh, there's other there's such great song titles as "This Little Piece of Dinkle," uh, "My <laughs> Name Is Dick," uh, "Oh, She's <laughs> a Big Girl Now," and of course, "Look, a Pussy." <laughs> I mean, he's the Adam Sandler of Britain, it sounds like. I think this has become a Judge Dredd, the reggae artist episode all of a sudden. I think we need to actually just tell this man's story. Please tell me he's been jailed. Please tell me he is uh, in a cage he did right now. die of a heart attack on stage, so that's okay, fine. great. He's a real Moliere. All right. Up with the cock. Up with the cock. I know. It's such an aggressive. Up with the cock. I mean, I hate to say it, but it is truly like a rapist voice. Like if I had to describe it, you know what I mean? Man. All right. Anyways, Dread uh, uh, Wagner said, Pat Mills is creating 2000 AD. I'd been editing Valiant a short uh, while. That was the Boys Adventure uh, serial before that. And I produced a new story for it called One-Eyed Jack, who was a Clint Eastwood type of cop, tough and violent. The popularity of that story was amazing. So I knew that tough, violent cops worked and suggested the idea for 2000 AD. But in the future, the character would have far more power. He'd be a judge jury and executioner and um you have to remember dirty harry was a huge deal at this time dirty harry was a huge deal at this time and like especially in like new york city but other major american metropolitan areas were hitting this crazy wave of of crime Mm -hmm. like it was like the warriors, like there's, there were street gangs. There were, they, yeah. they were all wearing matching jackets and stuff. The, it was a lot more West Side Story than it is now. But yeah, no, between Dirty Harry, uh, the Warriors, the Death Wish series, and just the, uh, you know, the Kitty Genovese style headlines that were rocking people's worlds, uh, White Flight was happening, and all of this media was being broadcast to the rest of the world, like. In Japanese media, all of these tales of like crime, wild, feral streets of New York City were spread. We're kind of uh, filling their imaginations with like post-apocalyptic visions. So literally, Judge Dredd kind of just starts out like a dirty Harry on steroids kind of thing where, all right, he's patrolling not just uh, New York, he's patrolling Every city or actually, no, in the first official chapter, it's just New York. They they literally just like it's the Empire State Building with some Jetson ass flying cars around. It's a Spanish artist, Carlos Esquera, who is tasked with actually visualizing the character. And uh, Wagner gives him a uh, it's a magazine ad for the movie Death Race 2000 Uh with David Carradine. And if you look at the uh, first uh, story with Judge Dredd, 
he he's way more lithe. He's way more smooth. His uh, helmet is rounded off. He's skinnier. He kind of has like a very fashionable way of like standing and posing. He kind of looks more like a gay icon than a fascist <laughs> paragon of masculine id at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, the first story involves basically just a gang leader taking a pot shot at him after killing uh, another judge, and his cruel punishment is stranding him in on the Devil's Island, which is a massive uh, elevated platform in the middle of a 200-mile-per-hour computer-controlled superhighway with no escape. The whole story is, uh, yeah, it's five pages long. And this is our first introduction, but he has the helmet, he has the uh, fancy boots, he has the motorcycle, he has the eagle motifs, and he has some kind of futuristic gun that hasn't actually been fully explained with all the cool magic bullets that he can shoot. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I mean, a lot of that first issue, though, is be is it's weird because in undefined because like the, Wagner and Escara were on the comic, then they went off of the comic before the actual first issue hit, then they returned. So let's tell the story of that a little bit. I, Carlos Escara, first of all, born and raised in Spain, he started out illustrating mostly war and Western fare over there, and then got work via the UK doing art for the story paper The Wizard until he ended up fully moving to London to get closer. They would actually apparently outsource a lot of art to Spain because it was uh, cheaper. Uh, labor. Um, and so eventually he gets enough success uh, with his freelancing for the UK. He's like, all right, let's move to London. And uh, while uh, while in London working on The Wizard, uh, Wagner and Mills uh, end up c- catching one of his stories that he did. And they're tr- they have to try to figure out who he is. Because back then also, art for a lot of these comic books was kind of like video game design in Japan in the early days, they would purposely hide the names mm-hmm. and not give credit because they didn't want the, for these artists to get headhunted by other groups. They didn't want the DC or Marvel equivalent, you know, to come scalp the talent. Right. So they did the same thing uh, for writers because it would have revealed that like 2000 AD is not the work of a cool, like collaborative, like a uh, posse of avant-garde sci-fi writers. It's like, Right. Three guys just cranking these things out as quickly as possible. So Wagner and Mills end up going around to like all of the agents in London for the for this type of talent until they finally get one of them to admit that they represent this guy. 
and and hunt and so like a full hunt down of this guy uh and then they br- bring him on for the dread design Ascara said, when I create a character, I'll do it fairly quick, quickly. The longest you stay working on an idea, the more chances you have to spoil it. And Dread was not an exception. I draw the essentials, grim face, black suit, menacing helmet based on the Greeks, protections and gun readily available when sitting on the bike. After that, I started to embellish the protections and bike with symbols, maybe a couple of days in total to do that initial design. Also, Ascara's depiction of Metro City 1 was a lot further into the future looking than the near future city Wagner envisioned. And this actually got Wagner and Mills to push the setting forward in time. Mm. Uh, So we would have a much more near future dread uh, if it weren't for Ascara. Uh, and the choice to never have Dread show his entire face in the comic is a symbolic one, according to Wagner. He said it sums up the facelessness of justice. Justice has no soul. So it isn't necessary for readers to see Dread's face, and I don't want you to. Um, but oddly enough, both Wagner and Nascara leave the comic before it even first appears in 2000 AD, issue number two in 1977, and their initial story was abandoned as it was deemed too violent. Wagner said the original Judge Dread was a far more violent character a man who would kill you for jaywalking. In the first script that I wrote, there was a scene in which there's a siege or something. Dredd rides up to deal with it, and a citizen leaps out into the road and says, here comes Judge Dredd. He'll sort them out. Instead, Dredd runs the guy down with his motorcycle and says, you were jaywalking, creep. Tell you what, I'll be merciful. You've got five seconds to make the pavement. The guy's crawling along, but he doesn't make it. So Dredd says, sorry, too late. Shoots him and rides on. Originally, he was a total maniac. And IPC probably wisely decided that this wasn't on. So the very first Dread comic to appear was actually written by freelancer Peter Harris, technically, although uh, apparently Pat Mills edited the shit out of his original script. So it was very largely under the hand of Pat Mills. And it was drawn by a newcomer, Mike McMahon. Oh. Uh, and Wagner and Iscara would actually return to the character with issue number nine of 2000 AD for a storyline titled The Robot Wars. Mm. What brought Wagner back? Wagner said, the need for some income. <laughs> Though I had issues with the management at the time, working for 2000 AD was tempting, too, for the range of stories it could carry and for the longer page count that allowed you to expand a little to maximize the potential of a script for an artist on old style comics we generally worked to a cramped 9 to 12 pictures on a page format on 2000 AD we were encouraged to give the artist more room to use splash pages when appropriate Pat Mills really hammered that home the comic had to be a visual treat and it just so happens uh, the beginning beginning with the robot wars that is when the character really takes off in popularity it really is John Wagner's Mm. character uh, it's very clear. Like whenever he has the character in his hands, people are loving it. And often when he has to leave the character, it will go down in popularity is what it seems to be. Unless it's just John Wagner's people controlling the narrative yeah, of everything online. It seems like when he leaves it, it, it it's never as good as when he's on it. Uh, the early stories of Judge Dredd are a little bit silly, I mean, they're definitely doing like a parody of like, you know, urban decay, take, you know, cranked up to 11. 
but like he has a sniveling sidekick robot called Walter who calls him Judge Dwed. Like it's very, <laughs> he fights like robot cowboys and mutant biker gangs. And uh, there's like monkey mobsters. There's like a whole, uh, yeah, no, there's like actual, actual like crime gorillas that he fights in a lot of these early stories. And um, Wagner definitely brings in stuff like the Robot Wars and uh, the Apocalypse War and kind of takes what would have been just a kind of tongue-in-cheek future cop story and really ups the brutality and, like, makes the character uh, more, instead of, like, a straight man to a silly world, uh, like an actual force of nature and violence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like... You need that comedic aspect, or the it would just be too oppressive. Mm. The whole thing it would be too it would be too heavy handed. And he's like the ultimate straight man. Yeah, he's like the perfect foil for chaos and insanity. Like he just represents the complete. I mean, he really is he's just Batman, huh? He really does represent though that full order, you know. But too much a much more extreme than Batman. Because at the end of the day, Batman's still a fucking crazy guy. Who, you know, decided to put on a bat costume and take law into his own hands. Judge Red is ordained by the law. He is a hired, mm-hmm. he's following proto, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, fully. But it wasn't just Wagner who uh, was such an important element to the writing of Judge Dredd. You already mentioned his name, Alan Grant. Uh, is also the kind of the, uh, the other major player in the legacy of Judge Dredd in comic books. In the 80s, Wagner brought on a partner in crime to write the series, Alan Grant. Grant started working in comics in the late 60s as an editor for the Scotland-based publisher DC Thompson before moving to London and working at IPC on romance magazines. His career in the 70s was tumultuous and involved a stint at college and various work all over the place until he landed back in Scotland living on Social Security. This is when he met John Wagner, who asked him to help him with a Tarzan comic for IPC. And eventually the two were living together and working together. And so Grant got to co-writing Judge Dredd with him, uh, among other titles through the 80s. Wagner chose to do this rather than write the title himself, largely because he was running out of ideas on his own and just really needed that other person there just to bring some new life into uh, the comic book and, you know, bring new ideas. Uh, They had a classic uh, guy on the couch, guy at the uh, keyboard scenario where they would meet up, brainstorm, discover like new angles just from talking out the plot points working out how many pages they had to work with. And uh, they worked together on uh, 2000 AD, as well as the daily comics, as well as the magazine together. Yeah, uh, Wagner describes their approach as uh, like a comedy duo, like Galton and Simpson in that way. One's pacing, one's typing. He said, once you talked it out and got the points of most interest to you, you sit down and write it. A long time ago, we used to do a construction and try to put each sentence into pictures before writing it. But these days, it's enough to have a rough idea how long a scene will last and where everything will happen. 
and they're very good at working with page numbers and knowing exactly how much story they can tell and and what and what pages they have to tell it. And since they are heavily restricted in terms of page length, they often approach longer stories by chopping them up into episodes they can that can stand their own. As I mentioned before, Wagner said, "You design a serial that way because it's quite difficult for one artist to pick up uh, from another on a continued story if he has has to have references for characters and background. So we try to subdivide them. I didn't think about it that way. I was thinking about the reader." But it's actually more for the sake of the artist to make them stand alone as much as possible and have to involve different characters and stuff. Um, so that totally affects the, their approach to narrative. You know, they would be telling very different, longer stories in, in very different ways if it wasn't for these these like issues with publishing in 2000 AD. Mm. After a time, they started to try to get in stories that were more about Mega City One with as little as, of dread as possible. Wagner said, after 500 stories, what more can you say about the character? You can just continue repeating yourself or you can change him. And if you change him, he would cease to be the character that appealed to so many people. It's far better to leave him as a presence behind a story featuring his world or an aspect of it. What are you talking about, though? Remember the success of those 2099 Marvel uh, heroes, Jake? They were great. Miguel O'Hara fucking whipped ass. Doom 2099 (laughs) was great. Hulk 2099 (laughs) was great. X-Men 2099 was great. It's actually kind of, yeah, now that I think about it, they were just kind of ripping <laughs> off uh, Judge Shredder, though, weren't they? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. That, too. I was, yeah, I was just commenting on, on how audiences react when you completely fundamentally change the character. I mean, it's tricky. It's a tricky thing to work around. Sometimes it works. I feel like it's working really well for like Miles Morales. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it's hard. It's hard to pull that off. And Judge Dredd, especially, because the whole point of him is that he's un- an unmovable mass. Yes. You know, stuck in his ways. So that makes it even more challenging. I mean, they talk about how I, I don't have the quote, I don't think, in here, but it talks about how, like, but the key with Judge Dredd, it's like he's a glacier. He's like, you never see it happen, but slight movement does happen mm-hmm. with his ideals and stuff within the pages. Oh, yeah. But it has to be done really, really delicately and gradually. Like, it's not like he can just have this, oh, hippies are actually beautiful. You know what I mean? It's like never going to be like that, you know, mm-hmm. but it, it, he can have these tiny movements in in character arc. Also, is one of the rare scenarios where the character ages with the uh, magazine, with the with the oh, yeah. uh, current, years gone by. Current day Dredd time. is an old, old, old man. It's yeah. like he's just a big scowling pile of wrinkles right now. We got to talk about the apocalypse war, right? We simply must. Sure. This this story is what a lot of dread connoisseurs kind of point to as the turning point where like major kind of uh, uh, core canon events seep in, where uh, Judge Dredd is pushed to his breaking point. Uh, it starts with a fairly um, fairly silly uh, story in which all the apartment blocks, uh, which were named after various 70s and 80s celebrity types. So there's like the, <laughs> there's the, uh, Henry Kissinger apartments go nuts and declare war on the uh, Enid Blyton block. And they're just like completely slaughtering each other in the streets and the judges can't contain it. They try anti-riot measures. They try just straight up shooting them and things are just not going their way. 
Dread, uh, Dread eventually discovers that the whole thing was a plot by the uh, future Soviet Union. Uh, Meg City East, I believe, is what they call it. Yeah. And uh, the Soves, as they're called, launch uh, nukes uh, destroying half of Mega City One. The judges are slaughtered, and uh, it culminates in Judge Dredd literally uh, flying a secret mission to Russia to just destroy the entire country in nuclear fire. Yeah. And Judge Dredd does so without batting an eye. And, like, there's, you know, at first there's, like, a little bit of silliness with a bunch of people killing each other in the name of uh, famous celebrities. But then it's just like, oh, this is real. Oh, this is just brutal. This is insane. Um, uh, Escara's artwork is like really just uh, fraying at the seams. There's like scratchy line work everywhere that kind of captures how the war is just like brutalizing everybody involved. And it all comes together to this just massive spectacle of death and violence and kind of ups the ante on what you can tell in a Judge Dredd story. Um, another great uh, run uh, is kind of all wrapped up in the uh, trade paperback Essential Judge Dread America, which starts with the Letter from a Democrat story from 1986. This one involves a nonviolent protest group taking over a uh, TV studio and just saying, hey, guys, we should be able to vote on things. Uh, the judges shouldn't just fill us with fear. We should, like, create an actual society where we feel like we have a voice. And Judge Dredd uh, storms the uh, studio and they all kill themselves. Um, that then results in a massive protest movement. And Judge Dredd, this is all written by uh, Wagner uh, and, uh, and Grant, literally undercuts the peaceful protest movement. It is a like note for note, uh, like kind of commentary on how the right wing shuts down leftist dissent, especially during uh, this period in British history where the new right was ascendant. We're talking, you know, uh, Thatcher, we're talking all this shit. And so like you see Judge Dredd just grimly uh, orchestrating like uh fake protesters to spark violence, collecting dirt and arresting uh, protest leaders on false charges, like all of the very relatable and real ways that uh, popular dissent is shut down in this in uh, America and all over the globe. And Judge Dredd is explicitly the bad guy. Yeah. This leads to uh, what many point to as one of the most iconic and memorable stories uh, in the Judge Dredd canon, America, which involves uh, America Jara, a uh, young democratic uh, tendency guerrilla, basically, and uh, Bennett Beanie, her boyhood crush, uh, uh, a boy that has grown up with her and has a crush with her, and it's told through Beanie's perspective. And Judge Dredd is just lurking in the shadows, basically, just looming over the events as a representative of how oppressive this world they have built is. Um, it ends with just like Judge Dredd, you know, just towering over the bodies of the of the freedom fighters as a massive statue of justice towers over the Statue of Liberty. And Judge Dredd is like fine with it. It's it's kind of scary. And Wagner talks about this in a uh, interview with the Comics Journal from uh, 1988 and says, you know, like this was our this was it. This was us trying to show that like. 
Dread is not the good guy. When asked if uh, they consider themselves right wingers, uh, they answered that like they're right wing with left wing tendencies. We both subscribe to Greenpeace. So pretty standard like young dudes with a like, hey, I don't like I think hippies are dumb and I don't want the government fucking with me. But like, yeah, we should live in a society. It's also like so when you say right wing and left, we're not talking about like. MAGA and stuff you know what I mean like and yeah. like so it, it's not such a absurd statement to make you know uh, mm-hmm. uh, th- th- I feel like that it is now where you can't really even it's really hard to say oh I'm kind of but you know what I mean it's like yeah but um yeah I will say that you know their efforts with um with letter from a Democrat and, and America and stuff like that was a deliberate attempt to make dread look bad Wagner said we wanted to leave the reader with a bad taste in his mouth about Dread and make him wonder if all, if all the other things Dread has been doing are right. And but he, then he goes on to say, obviously it didn't work. So they've yeah. always had this issue with Judge Dread as essentially the British equivalent of the Punisher decal on the car that we've mm-hmm. already gone into in our Punisher episode, uh, and having you know this interpretation from the audience uh, of the content, you know, in a certain way. Grant said, when we started working together, it used to worry me an awful lot, uh, referring to the way the audience received the character. We used to have severe, lengthy arguments about whether what we were writing was the correct thing to be presenting to kids for reading material, mixing up humor and violence the way we do. The two become indistinguishable. So it's it's always kind of been in in the air, which again just adds to the laundry list, along with the fact that he never takes the mask off, mm-hmm. um, the the way that it's published in 2000 AD, which affects the way the stories are told. It, it all kind of comes together to make this a challenging character to get over past like cult status, or you know, into the into the mainstream, into Hollywood at the very least, right? And um, so, yeah, that's all I, that's all the ingredients that make Judge Dredd such an odd thing that like I, like you said in the beginning, most people who have any basic understanding of comic books and even just pop culture, especially, especially British pop culture, know uh, Judge Dredd, mm-hmm. you know, are aware of Judge Dredd. And yet he's this odd thing that. To a lot of people, it's just a weird, bad movie that came out in 1995. Mm -hmm. And it's a strange one for that. You mentioned uh, the glacial pace Mm. of Judge Dredd's uh, kind of path through this moral universe. And I will say the uh, Democratic Tendency storyline ends with uh, Judge Dredd approving of a vote referendum to get rid of the judges. Uh, The art is incredible in this one. It's uh, who drew this? Who drew this fucker? I just had the page up. You son of a it's bitch. Not Mike, it's not Mike McMahon, is it? No, it is. It is motherfucking Jeff Anderson. Uh, and it basically boils down to after squashing an internal coup within the judges to sabotage the vote, he just lets the people decide. And the truth of the universe in the world of Judge Dredd is that the populace of Mega City One are literally too dumb docile and helpless to actually vote in their own best interests. Voter turnout is a record low Uh. and uh, the referendum is defeated with people claiming they'd rather the devil they know than take a risk on freedom. I mean, that's just 
sad and true uh, to life, I think, in a lot of ways. But uh, I also wanted to clarify something. You you described the lead-up to Apocalypse War. That storyline is titled Block Mania, if you were interested in going and reading it. And I would recommend. Block Mania is another great one. That, and that sets up Apocalypse War, um, which you did fully describe earlier. Uh, all right. So in 1983, Judge Dredd gets published in the U.S. via Eagle Comics as simply Judge Dredd, which is just reprinting the stories out of Britain up until that point. In 1990, Dredd gets his own title in Britain with Judge Dredd Magazine, which I love the name of that. And Woo. John Wagner ends up focusing solely on that publication. And here we have another instance of... In his stead, other younger writers took the character on in 2000 AD while he's working on the magazine. Um, and, and this is some great talent. Garth Ennis, Grant Morrison, Mark Miller, and John Smith, to name a few. But the character's popularity does kind of wane during this time until Wagner returns to the character in 2000 AD in 1994. Uh, and starting in 2015, Hatchet Part, uh, Part Works began printing hardback copies called Judge Dread: the Mega Collection, which includes Dread stories as well as spinoff stories set in that universe for... Um, Maybe the completionists out there who want like a really nice edition on their bookshelf. As as all this is happening, uh, we're being introduced to more and more characters that make their way into the Judge Dread canon. Uh, Judge Death makes his first appearance, the spooky, skeletal, dark mirror of Judge Dread, who believes that only killing everybody is the way you uh, erase crime across every universe. Uh, the Angel Gang. Uh, who we actually see in the movie, including Mean Machine, the guy with the cyber arm and the metal head with the clock in it. Um, Judge Anderson, the smoke show psychic that appears often in Judge Dread Media, also appears during this era. And uh, kind of the idea of mutation and the uh, what? what's the world? It's called something real fun. It's like the cursed outside or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. The world outside of Mega City One. The desert. Um, yeah. The like. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdly enough, uh, I don't know if they if they can republish this, but the first time Judge Dredd goes out into the cursed uh, uh, outside, he uh, he finds warring factions of humans that have dedicated their lives to fast food chains. <laughs> So, like, instead of, uh, you know, being this scary, desolate place, it's full of, like, people dressed up like Ronald McDonald and the Burger King <laughs> killing each other with, like, uh, Mad Max-style vehicles. It's very dumb. Yeah, it, it's very Mad Maxy out there. It's like this, you know... Uh, it's so funny, because I'm, I'm about to get us into the uh, 1995 movie, and I think that's the the worst issue with the 1995 movie is the leaving Mega City 1 stuff and the yeah. uh, kind of ignoring the city as a character stuff that happens there, much less ignoring Judge Dredd as a character. Is there anything else you want to talk about the comic before we move in to 1995's Judge Dredd starring Sylvester Stallone? There's a lot of comics. We barely scratched the surface. There's so much out there. I mean, I think we named some big ones to start with. As you said, America. Uh, shout outs to Origins is another mm. very much uh, beloved, uh, you know, just a well-written one. But also it gives you the full background for the judge, the judges and how it all came to be. So that's like a big one for lore. That's a big one for canon. Mm. Um 
what else? The uh, uh, we already talked about Blockmania, Helter Skelter is another one people uh, uh, point to as a, a huge, a huge one. Um, I believe that was two thousand one. The Day the Law Died, another really cool one, kind of a, a interesting take on like a Caligula's type story. Uh, yeah, I mean, I there's love just so a Caligula much. type story, you know. And I think it, I think also one might just want to pick up the Essential Judge Dread because it's going to have a, a, you know, these collections will have, uh, you know, like a lot of the smaller stories because really these bigger ones like Origins or Apocalypse War are great but i think a lot of like the the what's great about judge dread is is are the stories told in a in the smaller format in like the single issue format mm. uh, uh all right let's talk about a bad movie for a little while but i i mean <laughs> i'll just open with this quote from sylvester Stallone: the biggest mistake i ever made was with the sloppy handling of judge dread it could have been fantastic nihilistic interesting vision of the future judge jury and executioner that film really bothered me a great deal. Uh, this movie, now that I've done the research, because we watched it on our Sunday study session, patreon.com forward slash whisper. We watched it and, you know, you got you start scratching your head being like, how does something get this far off the rails mm-hmm. uh, like this, obviously? Because I think everyone agrees the main issue of the movie, like they totally betray the character of judge dread like he's just not it's just not the comic book character at all and then they show you a really cool mega city one and even open with an action set piece that feels pretty on the money for what a judge dread action set piece should look like in a movie and then they just like do that weird thing that bad movies do where they then strip plot wise the film of anything that could make it fun and exciting. They literally judge dread becomes framed for a crime <laughs> and therefore arrested and therefore a prisoner. So we just completely strip judge dread of his powers and abilities and weapons and everything for mm-hmm. a large chunk of the movie. And then also, and it's probably because of budgetary issues, they didn't have the money to have the whole movie set in mega city one, but they literally, Send him out of Mega City One. There's all this stuff in like the desert. You know, he spends most of the movie without a mask on because it's uh, the classic mistake of like casting a way too well known powerhouse Hollywood star as the leading role. And there's no way that he can beat Judge Dredd because he's never not going to be Sylvester Stallone. We paid good money to have Sylvester Stallone's face in this movie. We're going to have Sylvester Stallone's face in this movie. Uh, there's also the fact that. Rob Schneider as the comedic relief character is not comedic or a relief. He's what's yes. the opposite? He's a uh, anger burden. He is a uh, like we've been talking about this this whole time, and not that Drudge Red hasn't had like uh, uh, coworker characters that have been comic mm-hmm. relief in the comics, but the real like juicy comedy of the comic is really from like the city itself and the criminals and characters that the various ones that live within that city. And we don't get any sense of that really you get a outside little of bit the, in the beginning, you get a in the little beginning bit. and a little kind of a little bit at the end, there's a big like high speed chase through mega city one, but really you just don't, he should be like investigating something in the city and encountering all these characters. You don't need the Rob Schneider. And so it's like trying to make it into this like buddy cop mm-hmm. thing that just doesn't work. 
the uh, what's the name of the lady judge? Like the whole romantic side plot. Her judge, uh, it's Diane Lane as Judge Hershey. That whole romantic side plot is so out of character. Like just nothing about it. It just feels like they. All right. Yeah. Okay, but hear me out. What about the fact that a significant portion of the movie is uh, about Armand Asante's character, Rico, yeah. the clone brother of Judge Dredd, who doesn't look anything like Judge Dredd, yes. which is weird because they keep insisting they're genetically the same. Which... Well, they have the same contacts in, so their eyes look the same. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, it's... As well as uh, famous 90s hottie Joan Chen as a geneticist, building an army of what I'm going to call... Come weird weirdos uh, that don't do that anything. Don't do anything except. <laughs> yeah, it feels very like end of uh, Indiana Jones uh, four. <laughs> but uh, you know, initially this had a lot of promise. Uh, the the screenplay was written by veterans William Wisher Jr., who wrote the co wrote the first two Terminator movies, and Stephen E. DeSouza, who wrote Forty Eight Hours and Die Hard. Those are the guys that did the script. Uh, there was uh, then newbie Danny Cannon was chosen as director, and yeah, he'd only had like one movie under his belt, but it was a promising one titled The Young Americans. He's British. He's a huge Dread fan. He's such a big Judge Dread fan that he made a fake movie poster for Judge Dredd in 1987, which was published in 2000 AD. He's a, he gets it. Then they get Sylvester Stallone at the top of his game, cliffhanger, demolition man. And you know, you're like, how you, this is going to be huge. This is finally going to get this character over uh, in America. It's going to be so amazing for all parties involved. I remember specifically seeing the characters, seeing the posters, being told that he's like from this cool British comic that like, you're too young to even read right now. And I'm like, I I am fascinated by this. This is so cool. He's got a cool bike. He's got cool armor. He's got cool shoulder pads, got a cool helmet. This is going to be amazing. And then watching this movie and just immediately not giving a shit about this character for years afterwards. Sloan said, I think from what I recall, the whole project was troubled from the beginning. Sorry, I'm not doing the Sloan voice. It's too exhausting. <laughs> the philosophy of the film was not set in stone. By that, I mean, is this going to be a serious drama or with comic overtones? Like other science fiction films that were successful... So a lot of pieces just didn't fit smoothly. It was sort of like a feathered fish. Some of the design work on it was fantastic, and the sets were incredibly real, even standing two feet away, but there was just no communication. One big issue is that it seems John Wagner and Carlos Esquera were not brought in enough to consult as they were welcomed to work on the movie, but there was no offer to pay for their services. They wanted just free work from the two, and they were like, no, and they had enough going on in their own right with the comic books. To be fair, you know, the Mega City depiction was fantastic for what little of it we get. Tons of practical effects, awesome looking model work. Uh, you can see some behind the scenes footage of this like really cool full scale, like mod, not full scale, but uh, uh, a gi- giant model of Mega City One that's very impressive. The production uh, designer was Nigel Phelps, who had previously worked on stuff like Tim Burton's Batman and Full Metal Jacket. And uh, the effects work was done by Massive Illusion, which is owned by Douglas Trumbull. Uh, this guy did effects on 2001 a space odyssey close encounters of the third kind i think like that aspect of the movie when it happens is great that fucking crazy ass robot whenever it's on screen i am in awe because it's just like they don't make that shit no more 
There, like in a million years, you will never see a huge practical creature just hanging out and doing shit in a movie anymore. It's a achievement. I mean, all signs point to too much Sylvester Stallone meddling, mm-hmm. which is just a, the sad product of when a movie star gets too big for his britches. Director Danny Cannon ha- has since stated after this movie that he would never work with a big Hollywood star ever again. I saw reports that Stallone uh, heavily rewrote mm-hmm. the, uh, in- the, the initial script. It feels so like that- Stallone wanted to be in Demolition Man 2, even down to hiring Rob yeah. Schneider. Like... Yeah, totally. And also he was determined to get a PG-13 rating for the movie. And so that inv- so not only did he meddle too much in the pre-production, but for that reason he meddled way too much in the post-production. There's like glimpses. Like there's glimpses of this movie as a true Judge Dredd movie. You mentioned it at the beginning, uh that first apartment block raid is really well done. You have like the robot pushing beer in the hallway. You have the criminals being dumb as shit. You have like uh, Stallone in the helmet just being his deadpan self. Uh, But it just, as soon as we get to, like as soon as, as soon as he's arrested, as soon as he's out of the uniform and just like in a tank top punching dudes and just going fucking weird with it, it just falls apart. Um, of course, my favorite scene, Holden, I sent you the dialogue. Would you like to be, uh, I think you should be Dread. You have a good, uh, you have a good Stallone. Yeah, voice. I'll be Dread. I'll be Dread. I will this be is, Armin yeah. DeSante as antagonist, Judge Rico, his, uh, his, his condemned brother who escaped in order to uh, fulfill his plan to have an army of jizz monsters. All right. <clears throat> Why did you judge me? Why did you judge me? You killed innocent people. A means to an end. You started a massacre. I caused a revolution. You betrayed the law. (laughs) (laughs) There's an amazing moment in that exchange where you can actively see Sylvester Stallone stand on like an apple, get up on an apple crate so that he can like talk down to the bad guy. You'll also notice his boots are way crazier than everyone else's (laughs) boots to clear. Really give him a height advantage, and it is very obvious. He, I, because in other shots, Armand Desante towers like three feet above Sylvester. Stallone. Yeah. Again, genetic clones, perfect clones of each other. Brothers. I, I, I don't know if this works or not, but here's Stallone's idea of, you know, maybe how this movie could have been better. It seemed that lots of fans had a problem with Dredd removing his helmet because he never does in the comic books. But For me, it was more about wasting such great potential there was in that idea. Just think of all the opportunities there were to do interesting stuff with the cursed Earth scenes. It didn't live up to what it could have been. It probably should have been much more comic, really humorous and fun. What I learned out of that experience was that we shouldn't have tried to make it Hamlet. It's more Hamlet and eggs. No, no, no. No. no, because also uh, don't even point to the cursed earth scenes. That was where you went wrong. You should never have left Mega City One. Yeah, it should have been like you investigating a crime in Mega City One, or like take one of the ex- again. Also, like why don't you take one of the existing stories and fucking tell that story in a in a movie well, way? It was kind of a mish. Like Judge Rico does show up. Yes, in uh, like the whole Janice Project thing does show up in the comics. The Angel Gang shows up in the comics. But they tried to do too many. That's where Dread twenty twelve succeeded. Where they failed. Like they tried to do 
too tell too many stories in one movie, and it was just this mess. So let's talk about a good movie. Let's talk about J- Dread 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, the, the yeah, total not sequel, nothing, completely separate from uh, movie uh, directed by Pete Travis, who had also only done one film before this one, like the previous director. It was called Vantage Point. It was written and produced by Alex Garland, who started out as a novelist with his book, The Beach, and he later wrote the acclaimed scripts for 28 Days Later in Sunshine. He goes on to direct the movies Ex Machina and Annihilation, which are phenomenal. As well as the uh, bonkers-ass streaming miniseries, Devs, that me and Marie watched in semi-ironic, semi-sincere horror the whole way through. I watched a couple of episodes of that and fell off. That was very pandemic times, too. That takes me back yeah um yeah and then you have carl urban playing judge dread who we now know is like the boys and is just a phenomenal you know he was bones in the star trek reboot great great actor and uh he nails this part and he doesn't take the helmet off i don't think the entire time no uh he and and i think that was very much to be like guys we get it we're not taking the helmet off and i think it's it's interesting. That was very novel at the time mm-hmm. and a ballsy move. Um, and it kind of worked because Carl Urban was unknown at the time. So it's like, you know, but it very similar to the Mandalorian. We, we finally got to the point where it's like, no, no, no we're going to make it a point to not remove the mask. And that's going to be the interesting element to this superhero story or this Star Wars story. It's it's almost as if while, you know, while one's acting ability is incredibly hampered by having your eyes covered uh, to get to the core of a character, maybe it's just carrying the character's words and actions with conviction. Yeah. That really is the key to a performance in some ways. Uh, and John Wagner, much more involved this time, according to Garland. Uh, he said, we didn't sit down and swap pages as it were. Uh, it was Alex also, Alex Garland was more was more involved. Uh, we didn't swap pages as it were. Was it Alex or Alan? Uh, Alex Garland that uh, Urban has since gone on to say is like basically more the director than even Travis was. Oh, wow. Yeah, he said, we didn't sit down and swap pages as it were, but what I did do was send the script to John and John would correct some of the dialogue that I'd written. Then actually Carl Urban himself did the same. It was a uh, reassurance because I knew I could turn to John and I did. So definitely a lot more of a free flow of um, communication there for the character trying to actually nail the true intent of the original comic book character. Um, but uh, they also were constrained in their own ways. They, their budget, essentially. They knew they did not have the n- money to portray Mega City 1 fully. But what they sh- they could do was portray the character of Judge Dredd as true as possible to the original. And they could portray an element of... Essentially, it's kind of a little bit of the Block City... Uh, storyline a little bit of an influence and just focusing on one crazy building mm-hmm. that judge Dredd. it's re- essentially this movie uh unfortunately we have to say this movie is the raid essentially even though i thought going in the raid had come out and was well established then dread came out and it was clearly wearing its influence on its sleeve of the raid but it appears that it's a little more wish watching that it's another unfortunate scenario where um, the ra- like if Dread could have been the 
first one to come out, even. Because The Raid comes out in 2011. They were already well into production on Dread, which comes out in 2012. So I don't think that they were that inspired by The Raid. What what were you going to say, Jake? I could not find an actual source for this. I am saying out loud, as if it was relevant information, a thing I heard a guy say on a YouTube video. So take this with a grain of salt. But supposedly, according to a stranger with no backing or evidence, (laughs) Gareth Evans, director of uh, The Raid, got a hold of an early script for the Dread movie, and that gave him inspiration to make The Raid. Dun, dun, Make dun. of that what you will. Wow. Maybe not true. You heard true. it here first, folks. Maybe Send not all true. all emails to jakeyoung at hotnuts.dirtyemail.org, which is a weird, horny email <laughs> site that Jake uses. Listen, the Dirty Email uh, nonprofit does good work, <laughs> and I'm proud to have an email address with their .org. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it's... It's a real shame, though. This movie actually did not, um, was not the box office success it really should have been. I highly recommend you go watch it. Uh, it was supposed to be the first of a trilogy, which uh, Garland was interested in doing. He would have done uh, the origin storyline and uh, gotten into the democracy storyline and also introduced uh, Judge Death in the third of a trilogy. Mm. Uh, Judge Death and the Dark Judges. It would have been a whole thing. It should have been. It's it's awesome. I would have loved to see more Carl Urban Helm, Judge Dredd, direct, with these people working on it. I wish it would have been like another John Wick, even, essentially. But um, unfortunately, for some reason, it just did not have that box office appeal. And I don't get it. It was... Uh, <laughs> it really was not in a great place uh, just in terms of like... You know, there there was so many action movies out at that time. Yeah. Uh, the Dark Knight Rises was still in theaters. Uh, there was a new Resident Evil movie. There was a new Bourne movie. There was uh, fucking even Finding Nemo was like still dominating the box office back then. So it really just like they just did not have um, they just did not have a, a great place. Plus, a lot of the marketing was pushing the 3D aspect uh-huh, to it it's, yeah. and the movie is filled with all these beautiful high frame rate slow-mo shots and great like 3d set pieces that i wish i could have seen it in theaters in 3d yeah because i definitely uh, saw it the in- dread character doesn't put butts in the seats that's the yeah. thing everybody remembers him everybody's heard of him but the true blue fans of the character are are a little bit rare and i did see the movie at home after word of mouth after being like, no, 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 it's mm. actually really good. Like, I had to hear that from a person or two to watch it. So, yeah, even for me, it was one of those, you know, where it, it should have gotten more due. I should have seen that in the theater. It was so good. Um, the fans did make an honorable effort to try and, like, get people to buy the movie when it was up on streaming, to watch it on Netflix, to get a, a online petition going with 136,000 names on it all trying to just get somebody interested in a Dread sequel. Uh, they announced some, they announced, what was it? Dread Mega City One, a like mm-hmm. streaming project that has been dead in the water for years at this point. Yeah, Carl, Carl Urban would still, like you could tell he loved doing that role and wants to bring it back on like a TV show or something and is always in talks trying to get the character back. Um, 
So yeah, hopefully, hopefully he can return. But yeah, it does feel like he's a bit. It's kind of funny. We just did our kids in the hall episode, and this feels very similar. Like ah, oh, they can never get past this like cult mm-hmm. layer of success, you know. Uh, and maybe that's just what it is. I mean, that's just that's the character, you know. And and uh, really enjoyed doing this one. I, I I definitely read the comics. Definitely check out that 2012 Dread movie. I mean, shit on a lark. Now, hey, sit around with some friends with some beers or whatever and make fun of the 1995 movie even because it's definitely a fun movie to uh, scream at. It's a very fun movie to scream at in, with a group of people. Yeah. I will give them that. Very much, very, very reminiscent of Super Mario Bros. movie from the 90s uh, in, in terms and, of just... And uh, hey, if you're a fan of 1970s novelty reggae songs, listen to Judge Dredd, the uh, reggae artist. April! Hit Whoa! it! Up with the cock, up with the cock, at six o'clock, it's up with the cock. Up with the cock up with that the was cock awesome. at six o'clock. She's up with what the a cock. switch. So you're taking it now. It's going to be up with the cock instead of the DK rap moving forward. Is this the nightmare so. that you've wrought upon us all? Well, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us today for our Judge Dread episode. If you'd like to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Uh, we put out weekly bonus episodes for $5 a month. And again, at $15 a month, join us on Discord for the Sunday study session. If you'd like to support me on my own right with my streaming shit, check out twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. I stream all throughout the week. It's a good time. Um, always a pleasure to have you Whizbrew fans uh, come join me for my shenanigans. And uh, before Jake plugs his Twitch channel, we also now do a weekly show called Tears of a Clown yes. over on LPN TV on Twitch. Twitch.tv forward slash LPN TV. Check us out on that. Jake! Uh, follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young. Follow me on Instagram at Best Jake Young. And uh, if you are a fan of weird ass cartoons from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, you will love my Thursday night stream over at twitch.tv slash puppet Jared. That's my little VTuber avatar. He's adorable. Uh, it's called The Cartoon Dumpster, and you will have a, a jolly good uh, laugh a minute if you check out that stream. Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern. The Cartoon Dumpster, twitch.tv slash Puppet Jared. And hey, always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.